Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As you remain standing, uh, I want to read the entirety of Psalms 23 uh, to you again. We'll remain standing for the, uh, to uh, honor the Word of God. Sister Amy, if you'll put that on the screen. And, uh, well, you can be seated. We have one. Okay, it's up here. I did not write this down. I was going to read it off of the screen, and the screen in the back's not on. Uh, but David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise the Lord. Shake somebody's hand. If you don't know who they are, walk over and greet them. Tell them it's good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. And then you may be seated. We have been talking now. This is the eighth week about Psalms 23. This is the eighth lesson we've talked about on Psalms 23. And if the Lord is willing, next Sunday we will conclude this study. Uh, incidentally, as we get started here, I want to say it's good to see Sheila in church today. I know she's been working a lot, so glad to see you in church this morning. Uh, but in this study, we have gone through uh, the, 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 the verse or the chapter of Scripture where David, who was a shepherd, wrote about the good shepherd, about what it is that a good shepherd does with a flock of sheep, how the good shepherd interacts with a flock of sheep. And we've gone through that entire uh, study up until we get to verse 5. And, and the psalmist writes in this, uh, in this uh, beautiful, very popular, very well-known chapter of Scripture. It's, it's quoted all the time in almost every uh, circumstance uh, that you, you can get yourself in life uh, throws at you, people will quote this scripture. There's some part of it that people love. Uh, it's quoted uh, worldwide in many different faiths, many different uh, denominations. They'll quote this scripture. They, uh, this is just one of those hallmark scriptures in the Bible that has so much to say. And, and I've often wondered, do we really understand what the psalmist was writing when he penned these words? And, and through this study, uh, I hope that some of that has opened up to you, that it's not just a generic statement to say that the Lord is my shepherd. That's not just a statement that makes it sound good. It's not just a little funny or cute statement, but there's weight to that. There's, there's seriousness to that. There's, there's a benefit to the Lord being your shepherd, and we've gone through a lot of that stuff. And today, uh, I want to talk to you about the part of that scripture in verse 5 where the psalmist wrote these words, Thou, you prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. What was David talking about? Remember, last week we talked about the difference between the staff and the rod. We talked about how the shepherd uses those and then how that applies in our Christian life with God and how He interacts with humanity. And and I hope you're beginning to see that when David wrote this chapter of Scripture, he's trying to show us how awesome God really is. He's trying to show us how God cares for people, how God loves humanity, how God wants to benefit your life and make your life better. And I hope you're seeing that. But David, David uh, he pins these words that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is David talking about? He's, he's giving the life uh, in this whole chapter covers the, the cycle of a year in a shepherd's life. When you start at the beginning and you begin uh, to traverse your way through this chapter, you realize that David starts... Uh, this chapter off with the sheep being on the home range, being close to home, and and then he takes them uh, through uh, the process of providing for them, and then he takes you through the process of of getting to the high country where the the rich green grass is and where the sheep will put on so much weight and and they will store up so much energy for the winter to come, and and then they he takes them through the valley. Uh, of the shadows and, and all of that stuff. And now we, we have a picture of the sheep. They are in the high meadow country, if you will go with me there this morning. They're in this place of beautiful, lush green pastures. And David makes this comment, being a shepherd, he understood that when you get there, when you get to that place of the beautiful green pastures with a flock of sheep, you have to prepare a table for your sheep in the presence of the enemy. What is David talking about? When sheep get to the high country, when they they get to that place of, of beautiful, lush, green pastures, Inside of that grass, as the, the, the ground begins to thaw out and that, that grass begins to grow, mingled with that grass comes up poisonous weeds. Now, being from a dairy farm background, I know that a cow can eat just about anything. Molded hay, it don't matter. I've seen them bite chunks out of tractor tires or at least try they they'll chew on the side of your pickup truck lick the bumper whatever they're they'll they'll do anything but having owned a few horses in my time I also know a horse will kill itself if it if it gets into the wrong type of feed or gets too much of something I haven't personally experienced it but I knew a guy that his horse broke into his feed shed and ate about eight or ten bags of sweet feed and it killed the horse So some animals are able to tolerate some things and where others are not. And sheep have a very wide range of food options. But there are a few things that will kill them. Now, I have never raised a sheep. Never. In fact, the only ones I think I've ever seen alive and touched and petted was at a petting zoo. But they have a, a, a large amount of, of, of poisonous weeds that will grow with this beautiful grass. And so it's the shepherd's job. 
It becomes uh, imperative that the shepherd will go before the flock of sheep. He will walk out before them. And as he uh, begins to scan the pastures that they're fixing to feed in, he will look for those certain areas where these type of weeds like to grow, say around the edge of the water or in a low area. He knows what to look for. He knows the signs that says that that ground over there would be fertile for these poisonous weeds. There's some type of weeds that if a sheep eats them, then it's only a matter of minutes before they begin to die. And there's nothing that can be done to save their life. And so the shepherd knows that. He is, he's aware of that. And so he begins this process of, of finding these areas where these things grow. And he will get down on his hands and knees and, and literally pull them up by the roots. And he will have to carry these away and put them in a place. Throw them away to where the sheep cannot get them. It is literally, it is literally... A, a fulfillment of this scripture. David knew it so well, no doubt he had done it many times, that even in the presence of the enemy of the sheep, these poisonous weeds, it was David's responsibility to prepare for them a place where they could eat. Even in the presence of their enemy, these weeds were an enemy to the sheep, but, but David knew it's a shepherd's job, it's a good shepherd's responsibility that even though these enemies are present, it is my responsibility to prepare for them a place where they can eat safely, where they can receive nourishment. And the shepherd will spend hours and hours on his hands and knees literally pulling up every sign of one of these poisonous weeds that he can find to keep his sheep from getting to them. A literal fulfillment of this scripture and David was talking about, he knew what he was talking about. He knew full good and well the job of a good shepherd, that no amount of effort was too, was too much. No detail was too much to say that I'm going to prepare for them a place to eat. And like sheep, and as we have traversed this Bible study, uh, you realize how close to sheep humanity really is. <laughs> At least it has dawned on me. That we are more like sheep than sheep are like humans. That is a true statement. We are much like them. And oftentimes we see things which appears to be okay. We see things that appear to be good, but if we feast on them, if we take them in, if we ingest these things, they can literally poison our spiritual man, they, use, they can literally cause us spiritual demise. And God in His effort uh, to be a good shepherd, which He is a good shepherd, God in His effort in our life will try to remove these things. God goes before us and He says that there's things in your life that I don't want you to ingest. I don't want you to take this in. I don't want you to cause yourself some spiritual harm by allowing these things in you, so I'm going to remove them out of your life. And, and it's a manifestation of God being such a good shepherd. And He truly is. The Bible even says, Jesus said, I am a good shepherd. But there's another danger that lurks for sheep in the high country that the shepherd must always be on the lookout for. And that's predators. Anybody ever seen a coyote? 
You ever seen a real one? I've seen them while I was hunting. They can move in and move out, and you'll never hear a thing. I've seen bobcats. I've killed bobcats. Uh, never, never hear them walk up. Never just look up, and there they are, standing there. Predators are, are a detriment to the sheep, and the shepherd knows this. Usually, the predator will wait. They will hide. They won't walk out boldly, but they'll hide uh, until they can get an opportunity to scare the sheep and scatter them. And if they can get the sheep to scatter, they know that at least one of them is going to run off by itself. And if they can get the sheep to scatter out like that, they can choose that one and bring that sheep down, and it's a lot easier to, uh, to, to take on one sheep than it is the whole, uh, the whole group of them. So they know that, that if you have a couple of big rams standing there and, and a little coyote shows up and he tries to take on that big ram, he knows what's fixing to happen. He knows there's fixing to be a whipping. And he ain't likely to be doing the whipping. So they're going to do what they can to scatter the sheep. Their safety in numbers. Their safety in numbers. And so Satan in our lives, he does what he can to, to get us to leave the safety in numbers. If he can derail us, if he can scatter us, if he can get you off by yourself somewhere. I know of a story where, uh, and it's amazing how people are, that, that Satan got a, a, a family to uh, begin to take some steps uh, to, more towards the world. And it's amazing how Satan begins to manipulate their life and begins to control their life and, and ultimately destroy them because they left the safety of the numbers. They left the flock. There is safety in numbers. When you begin to think your own way and do your own thing, you don't believe what everybody else believes. Sometimes it could be that you're being cut off from the flock by Satan only to be taken out. I know that's a hard statement, but I will tell you of a surety. Satan is not in it for your best interest. Never has been. And so I've watched people in my short lifetime, very short life. I'm so young. Whew. I'm getting older though. But I found out I'm not the only one that has a birthday this coming month. And I'm fixing to hit the big three nine. But there's somebody sitting in here this morning that will hit it ten days before I do. Praise God. But there's times when people get cut off from the numbers. If everybody is telling you that what you're doing and the way you're headed is wrong, then eventually you should really start thinking about that. If the Word of God says the path that you're taking may not be the best path, then you should think about that. Don't allow yourself to get cut off from the rest of the flock. The flock of a shepherd, the, the herd of sheep, or the flock of sheep will feed in plain view of the enemy. 
And the shepherd knows this, that when the flock is in the pasture, when they're out in these fields and they're eating all of this grass, the shepherd knows that hiding in the rocks above them, hiding and surrounding them, are predators that are waiting their opportunity. And the shepherd must always stay aware of that. The shepherd must always know That while I am standing here and my sheep are here close feeding by me, that there are mountain lions and there are, there are uh, coyotes and there are bears and there are these animals that are hiding in these rocks and I can't see them. I don't know where they're at. The sheep don't know where they're at, but I do know that they're there and I do know they're looking for an opportunity. If they get a moment, they're looking for an opportunity to come and to take away one of the sheep. Out of the flock, the shepherd has to know that. And God always knows that Satan, as a roaring predator, as a roaring lion, is looking. He is waiting for an opportunity to try to scatter you and to take you out. One of the shepherd's greatest nightmares as far as predators go are cougars. We call them mountain lions. Some people call them panthers, whatever. You all understand what we're talking about. They're cougars or a shepherd's nightmare. There's one shepherd that I read after that wrote a story that was writing uh, and he said that uh, his flock had been several times been attacked by cougars. He said the problem with the cougar is that it will kill the sheep, but it only eats one part of them. It eats the liver and leaves the rest of the sheep. He said you could almost understand if the cougar would kill the sheep and eat the whole thing and was full. But that's not what they do. They only eat one of the vital organs. And then they walk away and kill another one. And kill another one. Until that cougar becomes full on just livers. Do you know how many sheep that takes? He said the problem also with the cougar is they only attack at night. He said they'll wound sheep. If they attack a sheep and the sheep begins to take off running, they will swat at that sheep. And with those razor-sharp claws, they will split that sheep open. Maybe it won't kill him, but the next morning the shepherd has many, many wounded sheep. And then, of course, in the stampede of sheep, they'll run through the rocks and trying to elude the cougar and they'll break their legs. And, and there's a lot of damage and a lot of, a lot of death and suffering that goes along with a cougar attack. He said in all of his 40 years of shepherding, he was a shepherd for 40 years, he said in all of his years, many times cougars came into the flock. He said, but in 40 years of shepherding, he never saw one. Not one. Never. Saw one. Satan sometimes has the ability to show up unannounced. He will do more damage and then disappear, leaving behind nothing but a trail of death and destruction. And I'm not trying to be uh, what they call Debbie Downer and, and to be heavy and all of that stuff, but we have to understand that the sheep, that the, the cougar, the sheep, that the predator goes after the most is the one furthest away from the shepherd. This man said in all of his years of shepherding, the sheep that stayed closest to him, none, none of them were ever lost to a predator. But it's the ones at the fringe. It's the ones at the edge. 
It's the ones furthest away, right towards just as close as they can get to being far enough away, but yet still under the eye of the shepherd. That's the ones that were normally taken out by the predators. Same is true in our life. God is a good shepherd. And for us to come under His protection, we should want to desire and desire to be as close to Him as we can. The closer that we get to God, the less influence and the less of the possibility of Satan taking us out, Satan killing us spiritually and causing us harm and pain and heartache. Only a skillful shepherd, only a watchful, watchful shepherd can keep a flock safe from predators, one that knows that the predator exists, one that knows how he acts, one that knows where to take and lead the flock to keep them as much as he can from the, the, the eyes of that predator. A good shepherd, a good shepherd knows how to do that. And then David made a statement in this same in this same chapter, the next statement David makes is that you anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy, which means even though the enemy surrounds me, even though they're right there with me, I can feed safely, I can live safely because I know the good shepherd has his hand and his eyes upon me. But then he says that you anoint my head with oil. Out of all of the beauty of Psalms 23, we have now gone from the home range. We have traversed through the valley of the shadow of death. We have been in the presence of our enemies and we've been safe. And now you get this mental picture of the sheep in this beautiful, gorgeous uh, uh, field and the sun is shining and the sky is clear and it's all wonderful And here are the sheep, just kind of warm, lazy day, and they're feeding. And then comes this fly in the ointment. You anoint my head with oil. Why in the world, out of all that we've already been through, do we need our head anointed with oil? It's summertime, it's beautiful. The birds are chirping. The butterflies are flying around. All of the world is alive. And now we have this ritual that the sheep don't like. And that is the anointing of the head. Because it's summertime and because the world is alive, there's an abundance of this little thing called insects. Anybody ever heard of insects? Has anybody ever been fishing in the marsh and the gnats? We call them gnat. I don't know why the G is silent. But anyway, these gnats will just swarm you. If any of you have ever been in the woods, I've been, as most of you know, I've been sitting in a deer stand. Sometimes it's not real cold. In South Mississippi, when it's deer season, I've sat on a deer stand in 80 degree weather. And mosquitoes show up. Now there's something about the ones, now I don't know about the rest of Mississippi, but where I've been, there's something about the ones 
outside of Bude, Mississippi. They're about that long. I heard somebody say one time, there's two types of mosquito in Louisiana. There's only two types. There's the little bitty ones that can fly through the screen door, and there's the big ones that can open the screen door. Well, I have dealt with some of the big ones. I've had trees creak when they land on your arm because of the weight of this big mosquito. But sheep have problems with what they call nasal flies. Sounds appealing, doesn't it? Who wants to spend their life devoted to the study of nasal flies? Doesn't that sound awesome to anybody? The nasal fly is one of the many insect pests to a sheep, but it's one of the most detrimental. And so that's the only one I'll talk about. Now this is a little bit gross, so just bear with me. The nasal fly has a particular goal in mind. That's why he gets his name. It desires to lay eggs right inside of the nose of the sheep. And when those eggs hatch in a few days, they produce a larva. Now that larva, instead of climbing out of their nose, climbs up their nose into the head of the sheep. And when they find a suitable place, they burrow in to the meat. And it causes extreme irritation and extreme pain and extreme discomfort for the sheep. And they will begin to thrash their head in an effort to relieve this irritation against the trees and against bushes and against the dirt and, and against rocks and anything they can do. And in extreme cases, they will beat their head against a rock literally so much it will kill them. All over a nasal fly. Now, if the sheep survives their head beating, which most of them do, this larva, when it burrows into their head, usually will attack one spot the most. And that is their eyes. And it will blind them. The sheep will become blind in either one or both of their eyes because of this little bitty, almost microscopic fly called a nasal fly. Now that's a gross life cycle. That's all they do. You wonder why God created all that stuff. Maybe one day we'll know. Why did God create a mosquito? I mean, do they really serve a purpose? If anybody knows of the legitimate, real, beneficial purpose a mosquito has, let me know after church. That and poison ivy vines. Still haven't figured them out. But anyway, when the shepherd begins to see the telltale signs of irritation, when the sheep begin to sling their head around almost nonstop, when they begin to constantly paw at the ground and, and snort their nose, he knows that it is, the, it is a sign of the arrival of a nasal fly. And now becomes, uh, it, it now becomes imperative. It now becomes mandatory that he do something that neither he nor the sheep are going to like. And he has to anoint their head with oil. Now, this is not just a little bit of, you know, spray on, psst, 
you know, WD-40 oil. He has to bring with him to this wilderness area of pasture the ingredients for a special ointment for his sheep. Now this just sounds to me like it's something you want to mix up at home and just rub all over your arthritic knee. Linseed oil, tar, and sulfur. That just sounds like it'd stink. And the sheep don't like it. Sheep hate it. But he knows that he has to put that on their head. And so before the nasal flies can take, uh, take root on the sheep, he brings them up close to him and he begins to take this ointment this, this mixture of linseed oil and tar and sulfur, and he begins to smear it all in their nose and all on their face and on the top of their head in order to keep these flies, and it stinks and it's not pleasant and it's not fun and the sheep don't like it and they fight and they bite and they kick and they buck and they sling their head around and, oh, it's so unpleasant. But he knows that even though it's unpleasant, it's the only way that he's going to be able to keep them from having an infestation of nasal flies. And he knows, the shepherd knows, that if he doesn't do that, as much as the sheep hate it, he knows if he doesn't, they're going to hate the result of the nasal flies worse. They don't understand that, but he does. And so the good shepherd will anoint their head with oil. And in the humanity, we allow a lot of times small things to begin to irritate us. It's the small things sometimes that drive people insane. My boss at work is very detail-oriented. And when I see him and he's inspecting my work, there's times when he'll point out things that to me are so nitpicky and doesn't matter, but his old pat statement is it's the small things that really matter. And it's true that a lot of times in life, small irritations, it's a word that's spoken, it's a attitude that was manifested by somebody it was being snubbed by somebody you weren't invited to the barbecue or or whatever it is it's a small and petty thing but it begins to grow in us it begins to fester in us there's there's a uh, I hate to say it this way but it's true like the eggs of bitterness begin to grow and and God knows that eventually if this is left untreated that it will cause harm and detriment to us and so he anoints us Sometimes it's not pleasant. I've told you the story that several years ago of Brother Murphy on a Wednesday night teaching a Bible study on forgiveness. It's not easy sometimes to forgive people. It's not easy sometimes when there's a, a, a person, uh, uh, somebody... Uh, ministering the word of God they may not even understand what they're saying they may not have a clue who they're ministering to I've I've experienced it myself when God has spoken such a clear message and you begin to preach it and begin to teach it and, and and you're like man alive God who in the world is this for and sometimes they'll tell you sometimes they won't but I've had people come up after church and say man brother Merrill you spoke straight to me and I'm like you of all people never would have dreamed it But God knows what He's doing and sometimes it's not easy for us to take the Word of God and begin to apply it to these little inconveniences and begin to apply it to these annoyances and those people that aggravate the fire out of us. Anybody ever 
had anybody aggravate you? I said that to, <laughs> shouldn't say this, but I will anyway. Went to see my mom the other night, and boys were acting crazy. I don't know if it was a full moon. I don't know what the deal was, but they were just, of course, it could have something to do with the fact that they're eight and five. But they were just wild, like Indians, just crazy. And I had told them and told them and told them. And, you know, my mom don't want me to spank them in front of her because that's angels. And finally, I looked at Micah. He had done something for the umpteen thousandth time. And I said, Micah, I pointed my finger at him. I said, if you do it one more time, son, I'm going right now in front of Grandy. I'm going to pull my belt off and I'm going to beat the fire out of you, son. My oldest one looked at me right when I got done and said, Dad, I didn't know we had fire in us. I got something for you too, boy. But God knows that sometimes there's things in us that annoy us and pester us. And so he anoints us with oil and we don't always like it. We don't always like the word of God dealing with our anger and our bitterness and our hatred and our attitude and our mindsets and our mentalities and and our actions. And we don't always like that, but understand, please understand this morning, folks, that God only anoints you for your own benefit. He only knows that if, if it's left untreated, if your anger, if your frustration is left untreated, that it will only cause you more harm. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. We've got to hurry. Summer is not, also, is not only a time for insects, but it's also a time for another thing uh, that sheep face, and it's called scab. Scab is a microscopic little parasite that forms a scab on the top of the head of the sheep. And when they butt each other against the head, they spread it, and it spreads real easy through the whole flock. And, and the scab is a, is a contamination. It's not really a disease. It's more of a contamination. It's, it's an uh, it's, it's uncleanness Uh, so to speak, in the sheep. And the only cure for scab is that anointment be applied to the sheep and especially to their head because that is where uh, the scab uh, is formed. That's where it grows. And it's an uncleanness. It's it's something that that gets to to a sheep and and they spread it among each other. And it's the same thing with, with humanity being contaminated by the world and our thoughts, our ideas, and our emotions, our minds. Uh, we, we constantly are bombarded with, with things that try to contaminate. And, and I was talking to somebody actually this past week about that. And, and they were telling me of, of, of somebody that they know that, uh, that have, has allowed a contamination into their life. And it's become a detriment to them. And now their family is falling apart, literally falling apart. What do you do? There's only one cure for contamination. There's only one cure for the scab, and it's called an anointment. It's called an anointing. It's anointing with oil. And David knew full good and well that in order to get rid of these things in our lives, that we had to have the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Only a consistent, only a consistent anointing 
Only consistent prayer, only consistent fasting, only consistent serving God can get rid of the contamination in our life. I try, by nature, I'm a very blunt person. I'm very straightforward. I have had people tell me, literally told me before, that I have the personality of a freight train. I was told that. I have a tendency to be very consistent. I'm very black and white. I'm very draw a line. And I try not to let that show too much. I try to be patient and kind and loving and all of these great attributes. God's still working on me as the old song goes. But do you remember the scripture? So allow me to be that way. That's what I was getting to. That's what point I was fixing to make with all that. Allow me to be that way for just a second. Is that okay? Is anybody opposed to it? Okay, I have your permission. Does anybody remember the scripture where it says that when Jesus comes back and raptures the church, he's looking for a church without spot or blemish? Anybody remember that? You remember in the Old Testament when God gave Moses the tabernacle plan and he said, when you sacrifice an animal to me, they shall be without spot or blemish? If there is spot or blemish found, they are unacceptable sacrifices. They cannot be offered. Jesus said that when uh, he looked out over the, the wedding party in the, in the parable, that he saw one without a wedding garment, and he told him, uh, he had his servants take that man and cast him into the lake of fire. Do you think, honestly, that God is coming back to rapture a church that's blemished? How is it, and I'm, I'm being very point blank and I'm sorry, how is it that we as the people of God have confused ourselves and deceived ourselves to the point that we think we can live blemished, contaminated lives, but God's going to rapture us anyway? I worry about people. And it may just be because I'm, Call to the ministry, and that's fine. But there are people I worry about that if the rapture took place, I really wonder if they'd go. Folks, as the people of God, it is time to be anointed again with the oil of God, to allow God to take His word. The Bible talks about the balm of Gilead and just anoint us afresh and anew with His Spirit and to allow these contaminations and these things of the world that we've put into our lives and we've become comfortable with these things, these blemishes in us, we've become comfortable with them. We say they're okay, but what does God say? God says, when I come for a bride, nothing with a blemish is going. Okay, I'm off of that. Sheep don't like the oil. They don't like the anointing being applied. And One shepherd wrote that his rams would battle each other and they would smack their heads together. And I don't know if you've ever seen a little video clip of that happening, but they'll stand up on their hind feet and just smack their heads together. And I have no clue how they do that without just having a massive headache. But anyway, 
But one shepherd say that they will hurt each other, they'll maim each other even. And in, in some cases, they'll actually even kill each other, batting their heads together during, uh, during the rut. And so what he would do to combat this is he would take a big, thick uh, grease that he would make, and he would smear all the top of their heads with this grease. So when they hit each other, they just slide off. And so then what would happen is the rams would get frustrated because they couldn't fight and just stand there and look at each other. But he was saving their lives. We need the oil of God to help us battle the rivalries and the offenses that come against us when we hit them head on that they just glance off of us and they don't hurt us and they don't cause us damage and they don't cause us pain. And only God, when David wrote, when David wrote, he anoints my head with all. He knew what he was talking about, that there are things that's going to come against us that we have to battle. And when they come at us, rather than them hurting us, the all of the Holy Ghost, the anointing of God can cause those things just to glance off. And no, they don't do us damage. They don't, they don't cause us pain. They don't cause us hurt and uh, things like that. That God is able to do that. And only the good shepherd, only the good shepherd is able to apply that type of oil. I appreciate God this morning. I appreciate the fact that, that He takes so much care for us. That He's so worried about every detail of your life that He's so worried about every part of your life, that He's covered it, that He's looking out for you, that He's studying you, that He's making sure that the enemy doesn't get a good shot at you, and, and he, He's making sure that the things in life that come against you, if, if you'll let Him, they won't harm you, they won't hurt you, they won't damage you. He's able to heal those wounds. God is an awesome God. He's an incredible God, and I appreciate him this morning for his love. I appreciate him for his care and his compassion. There's no better place in the world to be than in the hand of Almighty God. He's such a good God and I love him this morning. I appreciate him. Thank you for your attention and uh, don't go anywhere. Nobody leave. Uh, our second service will start in about 15 minutes and we're going to have a great time in the Holy Ghost today. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.